This is KYUK, public radio for the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. I'm Sunny Bean. The Bethel Winter House Homeless Shelter has closed temporarily. It closed on Sunday, March 5th, and will remain closed tonight. The shelter says it will have an update on Wednesday and hope to reopen then. Jayla Milford, the executive director of the Bethel Winter House, says power surges have caused the problem. This building was first constructed in the 80s, and in our renovations, um, it was not considered, it was not deemed that it was needed to update at that time. Um, But we've been running this facility for two years, and now it has decided it is time to break. Um, It's on its last legs, essentially, is what is happening. And so a solution is in the works, and we hope to have the shelter up and running on Wednesday. In the meantime, Milford advises Bethel residents seeking shelter services should reach out to friends and family about sleeping arrangements. Call your friends and family. I'm going to ask the community to rise up and help those in need. Um, people know of people that need help, and um, in this situation, Bethel Winter House cannot um, be open for these three days, so... I would ask the community to help. Bethel Winter House typically houses around 25 to 35 residents per night, depending on the weather and the time of the month. Lately, the shelter has had a lower turnout, around 25 residents per night, due to warmer weather conditions. Still, many residents rely on that hospitality, and Bethel Winter House hopes and expects to reopen imminently. In the meantime, Jayla said any questions can be directed to the shelter at... 907-545-7662. They hope to be open to Bethel residents very soon. Nikiski, Cooper Landing, and Funny River will soon go under the proverbial microscope for a study about the social and ecological elements of wildfire mitigation. The Kenai Peninsula Borough Assembly signed on earlier this month, on February 7th, to work with the Colorado-based Wildfire Research Center, or WIRI, on a wildfire mitigation research project across several rural peninsula communities. WIRI has worked with 26 communities in five states on similar research, though this project will be the first in Alaska. Chris Barth is a fire mitigation specialist who works with WIRI and also responds to wildfires, including the Swan Lake Fire of 2019. He says researchers with the center have been long interested in Alaska and had already looked into getting rid of fallen trees and other wildfire fuel on public lands on the peninsula. Knowing that Kenai has seen a number of large fires in the recent years and because there's some work that's being done on public lands in that area. So, you know, I think I think things all align uh, at the right time. He says the work on the peninsula is part of a National Science Foundation funded project. The center will work with local firefighting agencies on a two-pronged study. The first step is collecting data on wildfire risks to properties. The second step is sending a survey to every household in the study area. Through the risk assessment, we understand the biophysical conditions on the ground that contribute to wildfire risk or home vulnerability, et cetera. And then the household survey is an opportunity for those living in those locations to respond how they view those same things. Barth says this allows the researchers to understand how residents view their personal level of wildfire vulnerability and to figure out how willing residents are 
to engage in wildfire mitigation on their own properties. After it collects data, Wyrie can use its findings to help local agencies and borough emergency departments to figure out how to best cater to residents. Those local agencies include Cooper Landing Emergency Services, Central Emergency Services, the Nikiski Fire Service Area, and the borough's Office of Emergency Management. Barth says past research has identified factors like a local ordinance about vegetation that made it difficult for residents to do wildfire mitigation on their properties. He says in that case, the local ordinance was changed. When all that information was combined, gathered, analyzed, et cetera, we were able to work with our partners and say, hey, these people would like to do these things, but some of the things that are in place in your community are preventing them from doing it. In other communities, he says Wyrie has helped determine the best ways to get information out. Wyrie staff will arrive on the peninsula in May to work on data collection and work on virtual trainings this month. They plan to send the household survey later in the summer. Months ago, Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy's administration quietly modified a policy from the State Human Rights Commission, removing protections for LGBTQ Alaskans from most forms of discrimination. The commission is now refusing to investigate related complaints. That's the finding from a new report from the Anchorage Daily News and ProPublica. Reporter Kyle Hopkins wrote the story and told Alaska Public Media's Wesley Early that the issue stretches back to 2020 following a federal Supreme Court decision. This was all enacted by the Alaska State Commission for Human Rights, which is like the civil rights agency um, within state government that investigates complaints of discrimination Workplace and discrimination, but also um, just basic uh, basic discrimination based on race, sex, um, you know, age, uh, all the factors that one might be discriminated against. They they hear those complaints. People come to them and say, um, you know, make allegations, and they investigate. Um, and so this agency had made um, a change, a policy change, a significant one, um, but one that didn't get a ton of attention at the time. After a U.S. Supreme Court ruling in 2020 that that said the agency um, in 2021 said we're now going to investigate based on the Supreme Court ruling we're now going to investigate complaints of discrimination against people based on um, sexual orientation and gender identity in all categories and that was a that was a big deal at the time and um, and what we reported on was that that was in place for about a year or so, and then it kind of quietly was rolled back uh, in the fall. Yeah, you you mentioned that it basically disappeared from the website kind of overnight. It, was, it wasn't broadly uh, sent out in press releases. You know, can you talk about the timeline for when that language was removed and how you were made aware of the change? Sure. Well, uh, for me, this story came out of reporting. It uh, kind of grew out of reporting on some of the issues at City Hall, at Anchorage City Hall. You know, there had been... Um, I'd been working on a timeline about one of the allegations against uh, the Bronson administration, which was that there was a, um, you know, because the city has its own civil rights arm and agency that investigates complaints. And so I had been working on a timeline um, that included the firing of the head of that city agency. And she had sued the state. There's an ongoing lawsuit where she says that she was fired because she had started investigating um, uh, a library official for making you know, uh, discriminatory remarks. And some of those remarks involved, you know, LGBTQ issues. And so I was interested in the idea of, well, if you were to 
uh, feel like you were a victim of discrimination and you wanted to report it to someone, who would you report it to? And that led to looking at the at the state commission a little bit and, you know, and just becoming aware that they had at one point been investigating those cases and then had stopped. And then the key moment was, um, you know, I was familiar with the state agency's website and it just explicitly says on that website and has for years, it just says, hey, it's illegal to discriminate based on these factors. And so I looked at the Wayback Machine or the Internet Archive and I just kind of went back month after month. And sure enough, there was a point where it popped up on that website that they were saying, uh, you know, no if, ands, no if, ands, or buts that it was illegal to discriminate based, you know, against someone who's gay or trans. And then that disappeared. And so that was that kind of led to the reporting that led to the story. And, you know, there seems to be conflicting legal advice given to the commission during this time period about how to investigate LGBTQ complaints. Uh, you interviewed the director of the commission for this story. What did he say about that? Well, he said that um, they, after the Supreme Court ruling, which is called Bostock versus Clayton, and it held that, <laughs> I'm going to get out, out over my skis a little bit, but my understanding is it held that um, discrimination against someone based on sexual orientation or, or gender identity is inherently based on their sex. And therefore, if it's illegal to discriminate against someone based on sex, it's also illegal to discriminate against someone based on their gender identity, for example. Um, and so they started making a policy change after that Supreme Court ruling. And then according to the commission director, they got legal advice from the Department of Law. So the attorney general's own Department of Law gave them legal advice that then gave them the confidence to say, yeah, we are doing this. We are, this is our new policy, right? And so, but then in August of last year, the attorney general himself weighs in and says, no, that's not how we're going to do things. And then that's when, that's when the um, protections were dialed back. Sure. Uh, what have you heard from advocates of the LGBTQ community about how the elimination of these protections and lack of investigation could impact Alaskans? Well, the um, the story included a statement from Identity Alaska, which is um, you know a nonprofit advocacy group, um, and they actually had published this essay by the Human Rights Commission by the state agency that said, you know, here's here's the new paradigm, here's the new you know, manner in which we're going to investigate these complaints. And it's going to it's going to include all categories. So they had published that. And then in our story, we included a response from them saying that they called it unconstitutional and they called it state sponsored discrimination. I think the big a big question that our story doesn't answer and I think is unknown is how many cases, if any, were heard? You know, how many people went to the state agency and said they were being discriminated against in these categories? leading to investigations and how many of those investigations were then dropped when this policy was changed. We have no idea what that might be. That was reporter Kyle Hopkins with the Anchorage Daily News and ProPublica speaking with Alaska News nightly host Wesley Early. The front runners in the Iditarod trail sled dog race are in the Alaska range today. Leading the pack at four this afternoon was Nicholas Petit, almost at the Roan checkpoint at mile 180. 12 miles behind was Bethel's Pete Kaiser. Two miles behind him was Millie Porslide. A mile behind her was Ryan Reddington. And a mile behind him is Antioch's Richie Deal. In 27th place in the race, back at Squetna, was Mike Williams Jr. of Akiak. This is KYUK News. I'm Sunny Bean. Koyana for listening. Please share your news tips, comments, or suggestions. You can email us at news at kyuk.org or message us on Facebook. 
And stay tuned for news you've tuned coming up.